Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. All right. Shabbat shalom, everyone. I'm glad everyone's here. If those who want to be a part of the service, go ahead and make your way in here, and we'll get started. And what's the saying? Hag Sameach? Because today is the first day of unleavened bread. All right. Shabbat so, uh, shalom, everyone. I'm oh. glad everyone's here. If those who want to be part of the service, go ahead and make your way in here, and we'll get started. Oh, half the... It's coming through. Okay. I don't hear it anymore now. Okay. Awesome. So let me go ahead and open in prayer, and we can get started here. Father Yahweh, we give you great thanks. Father, we thank you for your Shabbat. We thank you for your words and your direction in our lives. And Father, we just thank you for this wonderful day today and all the people here. Father, be with us today as we look at your words and the words of your Son, Father, and how they are to guide us and direct us in our lives. Father, we thank you for all that you do. We thank you for the love and mercy you've shown, especially through the... Uh, the blood of your son, Yahshua, who's bringing us back to you, Father. We, we trust and we believe in whom you sent, and that is your only son, Yahshua. Amen. So we are going to start chapter 19 of Matthew this week. As usual, I ask, uh, please uh, keep your comments on point and make them brief, okay? Amen. I amen that again. <laughs> So Matthew 19.1 begins this way. And it came to be when Yahshua had ended these words that, uh, that he left Galilee and came to the borders of Judah beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him and he healed them there. He healed them there and the Pharisees came to him, trying him and saying to him, is it right for a man to put away his wife for every reason and he answered answered and said to them do not did you not read that who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and shall become one flesh I have to do something real quick here and plug this in I forgot to plug it in when I came in and my battery's about to go Oh, no, it's not coming up. I apologize. I'm glad you're saying. I thought I did. Oh, I know. I got to switch from the other. Give me one second. The other computer was going on. Okay. Should I read it all again? <laughs> okay, so I'll start at six. So then they, they said, um, so they are no longer 
two but one flesh. Therefore, that Elohim, that Elohim is joined together, let, let man not separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command and give a certificate of divorce and put, uh, to put her away? He said to them, Because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses allowed you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever puts away his wife, except on the grounds of whoring, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries, marries her who has been put away, commits adultery. His taught one said to him, If such is the case of the man with his wife, is it good to marry? And he said to them, Not all receive this word, but only those whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were, uh, were so born from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven or the reigns of the heavens. He who is able to receive it, let him receive it. So I can still hear my echoing coming through the the main speakers. It, is it, I can hear it over here coming through YouTube or Oh, is that where it's coming from? Okay. That was just weird, you know, I'm like hearing me in the background here. Yeah. Um So uh, looking at this part of scripture, at first I wasn't going to talk much about uh, about this because we had gone over it previously in our Matthew chapter 5, okay? But here, the subject of marriage is followed up with eunuchs, and this is interesting. Is there more here? Okay? How are they related? These are some questions. But first, let's review Matthew 5, verse 31. This is what uh, Yeshua said earlier in our studies as we are going through Matthew. Matthew 5, 31. And it has been said, whoever puts away his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever puts away his wife except for the matters of whoring makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a woman who has been put away commits adultery. So Yeshua again is interesting just on the basis, uh, the, the simple part of this. You know, Yeshua again is showing his teachings are from, uh, from the foundations before him. Okay, so we can see back in Matthew he hasn't changed to the point of Matthew 19 we're at, he's still going back to those foundations that have been laid down uh, previously. And what I'm alluding to is this, Deuteronomy 24, 1, it says this, When a man takes a wife and shall marry her, then it shall be, if, uh, if she finds no, um, no favor in his eyes, because he has found a matter of un uncoveredness in her, and he shall write her a certificate of divorce and put, her, uh, um, and put in her hand and send her out of his house. And if she, she uh, left his house and went and became another man's wife, and then the latter husband shall hate her 
and write her a certificate of divorce and put her put her put it in her hand and send her out of his house or when the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife then the former her former husband who has sent her away is not able to take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled for that would be an abomination before Yahuwah and do not bring sin on the land which Yahuwah your Elohim is giving you as an inheritance so Yahshua goes back it's interesting here in Matthew 19 you know he goes back because he's addressing the Pharisees in their comment here and so Yeshua is going back even further to Genesis, all right? So he's just not going, talking about uh, Moses. He even goes back to Genesis to use that as a foundation of his answering, okay, to them. Because it's here in Genesis 1. This is where Messiah is quoting from as well. So, Yahuwah Elohim caused a deep sleep to fall on the man, and, um, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed it up the flesh in its place. And the rib which Yehoah Elohim took from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And, and the man said, this is, whom the, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one is called woman because she has been taken out of man. For this cause... A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they become one flesh. So you can see Messiah went all the way right back to the beginning with his, uh, with his answer and um, him addressing the Pharisees. So it's very, it's, it's very clear on marriage, okay? We can see this here. Uh, this also tells a lot more uh, even on proper and improper unions, okay? But that's going to be, that's not going to be the subject issue here today, okay? I, I want to focus on something else. It's just to show, this is just to show Messiah's teaching is solid and his answers and it's based in what he's basing it on. Something else to, uh, something else to note here is Yahshua is using all of scripture to form an understanding that is, is not based in the New Testament. I know that seems obvious, but sometimes if you don't come out, you know, where is he basing everything on? Well, it's not the New Testament. It's all Old Testament things, okay? Now, if you didn't notice, he was being tested here, right? So let's look at that again. Because he, uh, in 2, uh, I'm sorry, verse 3, and the Pharisees came to him trying him and saying to him, is it right for a man to put away his wife for any reason okay and if you have a comment or whatever and again uh, make them brief and on point that'd be wonderful uh, just raise your hand and John will bring you the mic well, alright this might be a little loud <clears throat> so I just want to comment that real quickly that it's not wrong for the Pharisees to test them no. In and of itself. We shouldn't be cynical of that just because, oh, they're, who, who are they to challenge him? Well, they're supposed to test anyone that's claiming to be uh, the Messiah. He's, you know, like, the, like the, the Lamb of God, we're supposed to inspect it 
for for uh, three or four days before it's, you know. Agreed. We're, we're supposed yeah. to inspect it. So they're they're supposed to inspect the one who who uh, Moses said was going to come, like me, someone like me. So yeah, and, and it's interesting because I have here. You know, I believe the Pharisees were uh, well, obviously the Pharisees here knew the scriptures, <laughs> and you know. And on this particular matter, that's why they said for any reason or any issue, you know. So yes, I I, I know they knew the scriptures, and there we see it in the text. They were testing. Now, what kind of attitude they had is another different story. And sometimes, depending in the text, it might pop up how uh, it was a malicious attitude because we do see this has happened before um, in other ways. So there's. You know, again, that's something I always consider. Did they, was it a polite thing trying to really understand this guy, or like <laughs> they just hated him from the beginning and they're they're just out to bring him down? You you know, you so you'd have to look at the text and uh, and see that for yourself. Yes, Polly. Um, to determine what school of thought he was coming Where from. He, yeah, they may have well. wanted to be seeing, who have you been taught under? Who has been your teacher? Because usually when someone asks a question to another person that had been studying at the time, they would say, in the name of so-and-so, yes, or, or, uh, rabbi or, or the thought of, yes, because they will always give credit to who the teacher was that taught them what they were saying. So I think part of the trying is to see what, what school of thought do you come from? And his answers probably left them even more curious as to where are you coming from with this understanding of Torah that you have? Which is interesting because if you come from that point of view, uh, Polly, you're looking at it, he quotes dads. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, yeah. he goes all the way back to the beginning and quotes from his dad what his dad said, you know, so to speak, you know. The ultimate rabbi, you know. Yeah, so they no. knew he was giving a correct, you know, <laughs> answer that could be correct, but he never, yeah, where did this come from? Yes. I, I have another question. I don't know if you looked into this in, back into the original language, but what was it referencing when it says, uh, put your wife away? Because it looks like putting your wife away and, ish, and the divorce are two separate things. If you're going to put your wife away, then do this. So what did that look like to put your wife away? Um, I, I don't have a whole lot on that. I wasn't really going to focus on all that, but uh, John? Well, it, you, <clears throat> she's kicked out of the house. She's, not, she's no longer in, under, her, under his cover, his coverture, if you will. Mm -hmm. Well, if... To, to, to be put away is to be, I'm looking at it as physically removed. If you're going to do that, you must give her a certificate of doors. Are you having... I would argue that the issue is, is that there were some putting the wife away without the certificate of divorce. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think this is coming from. Because if you look at the, the Greek word in Matthew 18 uh, for certificate of divorce, the word divorce here is, uh, it's apostasio, but when you look at it over in verse 8 and 9, it's actually apalusai, two different words. And I'm, I'm guessing that what's happening is because it, the word certificate is left out of 
verse 8 and 9, where it's in verse 7. And I think the certificate is this safer. You know, I took it back to the Hebrew. It's, it's safer. So it's a piece of paper. It's a get. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking that there were men that were letting their wives go without the get. Of course, if you were to marry a woman that didn't have a get, she's still legally, like John always points out, you've got to deal with the legal issue. And since the legal issue hasn't been dealt with, she's still literally bound to her husband. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So, um, and it's interesting because you look how, uh, how he answers. You have, have you not read? So that comes to that addressing, he's kind of addressing uh, how he's being confronted possibly. So maybe it was being malicious because uh, he goes, have you not read? He kind of turns it over, you know. So I would, maybe I would suggest that the, it was a humble, like, uh, humble question uh, trying to understand that maybe he wouldn't answer, he, maybe he would have answered a little bit different. I don't know. And again, that's speculation. Yes, John. Well, you know, they could be arguing at the very individual level of of an actual man and an actual wife, that situation. But, you know, I got to think in their minds, too, that if they think he's the Messiah, there's people who think he's the Messiah, and he's got to bring peace between the two houses, then that's... uh, they may have been, they may have been wondering how is the, how is it that the house of Israel who got a a get from God Himself going to put them back together again? Mm-hmm. So again, to me, it's a reason. It's it, I'm I'm speculating as to what their motivation is, but that's a big deal. I mean, the Messiah is is the one who's going to bring peace between these two houses. Yeah. And so they're and they're challenging him up maybe. I know, and I and we'll get into that. As okay. Well, thanks, John, because you you see, I, to me, he he goes back to the beginning to answer and addresses the commandments that are given from Moses, and in that whole idea, he he says in there because of the hardening of the heart. So, uh, for me and someone, you're going to say you just can't. If you've got married, you can't just put your wife away or divorce your wife away. Just because she didn't do the table setting correctly, you know, or whatever these uh, ridiculous little things. I see it as a, it's a major thing that you, you take upon when you get married, you know. Um, and it seems like, for me, it's only adultery is the only thing that, <laughs> that should allow anything of that. And even that, you don't have to. You can still work through it, possibly. But that's, that's your option. Yes, Mark. So I think I may have stumbled on the interesting connection here so in our text the word it says Moses commanded to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away well this word uh, send is the the Greek word up the root is apalu the same word used for the two divorces whereas the word divorce in uh, earlier on is a totally different word my point is send when it says send her away, is the two instances of divorce in 7 and 8 the same word? So in 7 and 8, it's talking about sending her away. She's just being shalak. You took it back to the Hebrew, it's shalak. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's sent. So we sent her away, but see, she's not got the certificate. The certificate, yes. yeah. Thank you, Mark. So, so we do see this hardening of the heart that Messiah brings out here. And we'll return to that idea uh, as well. 
So except for adultery is what it says, uh, not anything else. I know that you know this subject can be complex, but for the sake of, of the time, I, you know, I want to keep moving on because I want to connect two other things I see here. And John kind of mentioned something that I think is in the background of all this as well, and I'll show you that for your consideration. So what do you make of the, because the other part is, what do you make of the disciples' comment in the verse 10? What is it meant? Not all receive this word. Some will, some won't. Is Yeshua making it optional? <laughs> Maybe the question should be, who are those who is the word has been given to? What's that? And he's not all received this. Uh, ten. And the Tatsman said to him, such a case, should a wife, is it good to even marry? Okay? And this is in contrast with uh, getting married, putting your wife away, all right? And they're saying, well, should we even go down that route? Right? I mean, the, you know, and this, is this, this isn't any, I'm not saying the, the way this is worded, this is any of those who following at the time. Okay, when it says disciples, it's just merely, it doesn't mean it's the 12 close guys, right? It, it, it can be, a, 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 many people are just following him and trying to understand. So they're just like, wow, man, that's some harsh teaching there, you, you know, in some sense. <laughs> Should we even get married? That's what I'm looking at, all right? So, so is, he, is he kind of the way he says it, you know? Uh, not all receive this word, but only those who have been given. So is he saying, you know, not all of you are going to want to do that, but there's some of you who will want to do it. You know what I mean? Now, I don't believe he's putting it forth in an optional way. I'm actually thinking that he's putting it forth to whoever's talking that, you know, you've got a choice whether you're going to walk righteously or not. <laughs> not, all, not, all, not all these people who followed him followed him completely. A lot of them left after the food and the manna went. Phew, they were just there temporarily, you know. So that's just something that I'm, I think we've got to consider here. I believe this connects with what goes on to say about eunuchs, okay? Because that's the other part that has to come in here. He talks about eunuchs and connects. What is the connection between eunuchs, all right, and being married, okay? There are some other verses we must consider first before forming an answer here, maybe, okay? And that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to read, um, I read a lot of different interpretations about this, with this, you know, with the eunuchs, uh, his comment here right after marriage. Um, and they had some good, uh, some kind of good points, but they all had issues for me because they all seem to go against what we just read in Genesis and we read in Deuteronomy, words from the Father, okay? And so they... You had to do a lot of acrobats uh, when I was studying this. So if we... Go, and here's another verse I want to bring into this. This is going to bring in Isaiah. So we, we read Genesis, we saw Deuteronomy, and now we're going to the prophets. And we're focusing on eunuchs now, okay? 
Isaiah 56, 3. And thus says Yahweh, guard right ruling and do righteousness, for near is my deliverance to come, and my, and my righteous, righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who lays hold on it, guarding the Shabbat, lest he profane it, and guarding, um, guarding his hand to do, do any evil. And let not the son of a foreigner who has joined himself to Yahuwah speak, saying, Yahuwah has certainly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Look, I am a dry tree. For thus says Yahuwah, The eunuchs who, are, who guard my Shabbats and have chosen what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I shall give my house and within my walls a place and a name better than those of the sons and daughters. I give them an everlasting name that is not cut off. Also, the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to Yahweh to serve him and to love his name, name of Yahweh, to be his servants, all who guard the Shabbat and do not profane it and hold fast to my covenant. So, now, why I'm bringing the Unix thing in there, because, you know, with me, it wasn't making sense. In this portion of Isaiah, it goes on and talks about um, him accepting the burnt offerings. My house shall be a house of prayer for all people, okay? That's the section in Isaiah where we're at. But how does this fit with what has been written before, like in Deuteronomy 23, okay? So we've looked at the marriage issue, we went back, so now all of a sudden it sounds like uh, this is, uh, this seems okay, being a eunuch, you know, and maybe how that would work with marriage, I, I, it was odd. And why it's odd, because this is what Deuteronomy 23, 1 says. No one who is wounded or crushed or whose member is cut off does enter the assembly of Yahuwah. No one of illegitimate birth does not enter the assembly of Yahuwah. Even the tenth generation of his does not enter into the assembly. And that is, that word assembly is the hell. It's the same word that would be translated in the New Testament as church. The ecclesia, okay? But what he's saying here is no one who is a eunuch shall be part of the assembly of what he's called out. Okay, but in the New Testament, we have this eunuch, him, it sounds like Messiah's using that eunuch um, in a positive way. So, but the word eunuch in Hebrew is saris, okay? Eunuch can be speaking of, of uh, a violet, a violet, or a chamberman, and not necessarily one who is physically castrated, okay? I have tried to do my best to understand this word and how it is used in the context which is found. 
I'm going to give you my understanding of it and by, uh, at this point, but by no means I'm saying that I have this at 100%. But still, I think we can come with some kind of understanding and application for today, believe it or not. Okay? And that, you, your guys are out there like, okay, we're talking about castration. How are we going to, how is this applicable today? Okay? So, it was a common practice, because we've got to go back to some of the history and the things that were going on. It was a common practice of the foreign nations around Israel, both for worship of, of other gods and for royal officials in the Babylonian and the Persian Empire. Uh, they believed to be, uh, um, they believed castrated, created a sense of loyalty to the king. They also castrated foreign captives who who when they serve as members of the royal family, okay? So what this did is they would, um, this cut off the royal, uh, royal line. Um, and then they would indoctrinate them, you know, into the service of that conquering king. So it was a way of conquering another, uh, another king out there. So the king who conquered the... The other king, they would bring in their royal family, and it was a way of, like, you know, just cutting that royal family off, because that was very, uh, the cutting off the head, so to speak, <laughs> if, there's, if there's any other way of saying it. So that was their way of controlling things. But it's interesting, because, you know, and this is a possibility, okay? Possible uh, Daniel and his three friends, this was done to him, because they were taken captive, brought in. Because Daniel, they were part of the royal family, all right? But it was a practice that was going on. And we do know how, if you look at the book of Daniel, at least some of this, how he played a big part in, um, in, along with the king and things of that nature. So... So, eunuchs are mentioned many times in the Bible, like in Isaiah that we just read, and there, um, and there the word saras is used. Although the ancient Hebrews did not practice castration, because we see that, okay? Now, that didn't mean by any means that they, that they didn't. Just because the Torah said they didn't, or they were not to do it, all right? And we have plenty of evidence... <laughs> of them breaking those commands in so many ways, okay? So, um, so that's something you got to consider too, okay? But I don't see that that's something that was handed down from the Father. That's how I read uh, Deuteronomy, was a Deuteronomy 1, that you shall not do this to yourself, okay? I, and to me, it goes against everything that the Father is about, be fruitful and multiply, and all of a sudden, on the other hand, he's going to say, okay, there's this option for you gentlemen, okay? It makes no sense, okay? I know this, this, I will bring this around so we'll match up to what he's, how he's addressing his comment to his, his apostles, okay? So give me some time here, all right? I think it, it, it's going to read different for you. So, although the ancient Hebrews did not practice castration, they, um, we know they did practice and mixed other foreign nations' worship systems together. So, there's no doubt this could have been mixed in anyhow, okay? 
somewhere along the line. It doesn't make it right because if we see some of these kings doing things, it doesn't make it right. You know, there's tons of examples. We see that uh, King David, just because everything he did wasn't righteous, okay? So what's so interesting, and like I said, the other cultures around them did this, uh, and uh, Egypt as well. Potiphar is described as a Saras, okay, one who is a eunuch, okay? But the thing is, if you read it, but if he was married, so unlikely he was one of those who was physically castrated. So there's, it's, it's a strange word how it's being used, and I think it uh, has to do with culturally, at the same time, can be meaning uh, what you would call a eunuch, but at the same time, one who, is a, who serves in a, a, a royal position of some sort, okay? And this will make sense when we, um, towards the end, going back to all this, or at least what I, how, I, I, how I looked at it and saw how it flowed for me. Yes, Barry. I know you're probably heading this way, but I'm going to say it anyway. Aren't we talking about the same thing as the circumcised heart? And, and in castration, we're talking about, a, again, a circumcised heart, not, not you know, yeah, reframing it's a metaphor, from, right. as a metaphor. I, I would, in some ways, Barry, I would disagree. Cause I, and I think the text isn't metaphorical, okay? Um, <laughs> And as we go through, maybe you'll see what I'm talking about, you, you know, because um, I don't believe it's metaphorical, because then all of a sudden, if that becomes metaphorical, uh, all of a sudden, this divorce and marriage, it, oh, it's just a metaphor. Uh, you, you know what I mean? That, uh, I, I'm, I'm not saying that you're saying the marriage is, no, but that's the one thing, uh, looking at it and how it's worded, I don't see it's a meta, he's all of a sudden jumping and being metaphorical, so to speak. Okay, and I'll show you why. So uh, the book of Esther has plenty of eunuchs. Um, uh, if you go through that story, it talks about them. Because um, they were being, uh, well, just in that story alone, it, it, it's strange that you'll have eunuchs because they were in the duty of the king. And you had the eunuchs, so to speak, and a lot of places were in charge of the harem. And you can understand why, if they're physically, you know, uh, why they did that. You know, yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't just want any other, any other, any of the slaves running your harem because there could run a, ch uh, a chance that, okay, all of a sudden, it's not one of your children that's born there. Okay, so you can see the protection, why some of these uh, uh, royal families outside of Israel did this. You know, it, I mean, it makes sense. It doesn't make it right, but it, it, you can understand the point. So there is some confusion I found regarding eunuchs in Scripture. The Hebrew word for eunuch, Saris, like I, I, I mentioned, could also refer to other, other uh, servants and officials who have been castrated but serve, uh, or who have not been castrated but serve in similar cap capacities. It's a cultural thing in understanding the context, which at, at this point I'm still pondering and, and I still think it needs further study, okay? So let's go back to what we're reading here. I have, um, I do have this in my notes, okay? Have I done a great job of completely confusing you at this point? 
Okay. My past studies in Aramaic, I, I was aware of this word eunuch, okay? But this time I saw uh, its connection with the previous statements um, than I have in the past, okay? The Aramaic may give, some, uh, give a more plausible way of understanding this teaching point Yeshua is trying to make here and be in harmony with the Torah and what was written before. Okay, so let's go to the New Testament in Aramaic. We're going to jump forward real quick here. He, so he, this is Philip, arose and went, and behold, a man, an Ethiopian, a eunuch of great authority under the uh, candence in the queen of Ethiopians who had, um, had charge of her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. So it's interesting here. We have this eunuch. He must be a believer because why is he coming to Jerusalem, to the temple, giving his tithes or whatever? Okay? But remember what we just read. There should not be any eunuchs part of this system. All right? So we can clearly see how this eunuch could be, oh, just an, a trusted official, okay, over the queen's, uh, uh, the queen's treasury. That makes complete sense, and that's good too. So, here it is in the Aramaic. the The man in Acts, uh, the man in Acts eight twenty seven that we just appears to be a apostolate to Judaism, since he he seems to be making the Torah required pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And we know about that in Deuteronomy. The Torah, however, forbids a eunuch from both becoming apostolate Jew and from worshiping in the temple. This has also raised the question of uh, why one would become a eunuch, okay, and be castrated for the kingdom for the sake of the kingdom, because that's what Messiah starts saying. One's a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven. And that... Just that statement doesn't make any sense with the, from the beginning of Genesis, be fruitful and multiply, to Deuteronomy, don't do this, you know. So, after all eunuchs are excluded from the assembly of Israel, the word for eunuch in Aramaic manuscripts of both of these passages... Um, which can be, uh, this Aramaic word can mean eunuch, but it also can mean a believer or a faithful one, as it clearly uh, uh, means here in Matthew 19. It appears as a short wordplay because it also refers to one who is faithful in marriage. Okay? Now, to me, that, that makes, starting to make a lot more sense. John. So he's, this person is, as if he was, Isaiah was describing him. In other words, he's a believer. He's doing, he's there doing the, the Passover. He's there doing the, the, the things that you do when you follow the Torah, like Isaiah says in the chapter 53, right? Mm -hmm. Or 56, whatever it was. Yes, and I'm glad you brought that back up again, too, because what I see, what we read in Isaiah, it was at a time that they were um, in, in captivity, okay? So... And one of the studies that I came across, or someone's paper, they were saying, well, 
they left out the complete, the beginning of the Torah. So they just took the prophet and, and made a connection. Well, Messiah is just showing favor and grace, you know. And then they would go back to Isaiah. See, all eunuchs were always welcome and could come in. And, uh, but there's a big difference between someone that, let's, let's just hypothetically, let's take Daniel. Daniel, by his own means, all right, say if he was castrated, he didn't do it. He, it was done to him. All right, so I would understand that's much different than doing it yourself. So I do see, in some ways, in his paper, what he was addressing. It's like, yeah, that's that sounds good, um, and I do think Isaiah can be taken that way, just because of something that's been done to you doesn't that castration being done to that male that doesn't exclude you because that was not what you did. Yes, I see there's favor and grace that Messiah, or our Father has. But that's a completely different story if that's something that you're going and practicing, okay? And has, have done. So, so, let's apply this understanding to Matthew. Yes, sister. When Daniel be captivated, he go direct with the... The, the the men being shared with the the nook the um i think he be castrated they don't say but uh, he is by his order by the men is sure all people working with the king they need to be castrated and i think daniel and the other they be but in his heart he don't be rem he don't be anger he don't be anything he, he became more, more humble, looking more for the Lord, serving more to them, no matter what happened to him. It's, the, you know, it's different that something happened to, 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 to Joseph when God to the Egypt. He's suffering a lot, but he don't be castrated. Mm -hmm. You know, he be married. But Daniel, yes, because he's serving four kings, and he never... And the history don't appear. He have a wife and have a children because because he be castrated because he be under the men really have all the enooks within. You know, and I think about the marriage. The one give you the best example to us is the patriarch Abraham, because in 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 the history and the and the we find. The history of him, how he loved Sarah, how, how he did everything for her. And he never put his eye on another woman. But you know, when Sarah commit, uh, you know, the sin, he, he give the, another lady for a bit of child. That is not his fault, it's her fault, because he want to have a son, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, he be... Uh, he have his fidelity for Sarah. He don't... Some more women in the stories don't say Abraham is flirting around looking women. No, he be on the side because when people marry, I think they make a promise to the Lord, not to the woman, not to the man, because they become one meet. They say the man need to take care of the woman like his own body, and the woman need to take the man like his own body too. But when somebody broke the promise, that's in, in this moment they commit adultery. Hmm. Thank you. 
So, here's uh, Matthew 19, 12. For there are faithful ones which were so from, uh, from their mother's womb, and there are faithful ones which are made, uh, made of man, and there are faithful ones which are self-made faithful for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Whoever can accept it, let him accept this. To me, that makes much more sense with other, the other evidence that I was looking. And it's found in the Aramaic. So this word is ambiguous and can mean eunuch or faithful one or believer. It's apparent from the, the, the Torah that eunuchs cannot be, uh, be the correct reading here. Messiah wouldn't be... I don't see Messiah promoting this as an option. Okay? It just does not make any sense. But here it does make a great sense. So, here's Matthew 19. And he answered them and said to him, Because Moses gave you the hardness of your hearts, allow you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. Um, let me go quicker down. But he said to them, I, uh, and his, and his, uh, I'll start at 10. And his Talmudim said to him, if this is the case for man, uh, case of the man to be with his wife, is it, uh, is it good to marry? But he said to them, all cannot accept this saying, but who it is been given to. So we see this idea of being faithfulness, being faithful. So whoever can accept this, accept this. And I think that goes back and starts applying, you know, with all of Messiah's teachings, not just on this particular one, but all Messiah's teaching. Everything that he's talking about, the Torah, the righteousness, or whatever, you know what? Not everyone's going to accept this. But for those who are willing to accept it, there's something different there. You know, so, in all honesty, that's a question for everybody. Are you going to accept it or not? You know, he's not forcing you, but this is what it is going to be. So he who's able to receive it, let him receive it. Being faithful is to be a believer. This is what the kingdom is all about. Not, um, not one, uh, and not all people want to be a part of it. <laughs> we, see, we see that. Not everyone wants to be a part of it. So this answers a lot of the issues for me. I also, there are deeper hints of an adulterous wife Israel and her lovers and others with other gods and other worship systems that I see behind that. Like you were kind of mentioned, John. You do see this, how he's addressing this idea of adultery. Now, if we take that on a larger scale with Israel itself, who was supposed to be a faithful wife, but didn't run off to other gods and other worship systems... I see this behind here, uh, behind that whole thing as well. He's really firm on this concept. Not all want to be faithful. Not all are going to be faithful. But it's up to you if that's what you're going to want to do. You know? He gives it as a choice for you. Yes, Barry. What's the difference in the wording between idolatry and adultery? Because it, it seems that it's many times uh, Israel ran off. Um, having adultery with idolatry. Mm -hmm. 
So it's 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 something that has me kind of. Um, uh, for me, it's uh, where I see the Father of Scripture makes the two connections. And metaphorically, is showing how Israel went out and brought in other war forms of worship, other gods. So that's like <laughs> that's like having, you know, our uh, being married to the Father, then all of a sudden being married to this woman this God or this these gods and that system that belief system over here and the our our creator says that's not it anything but what he sets down is just that and he says it's an abomination to him any of these other practices and uh, philosophies that are not that he has put down time and time again he's go through scriptures and talks about that it's an abomination to him it's not what he, not what he set down. So, um, oh, I'm, I have to close down. I'm sorry, I can get with you. Or, a quick comment? First Corinthians chapter seven talks a lot about this as well. She doesn't have the mic, but those online. So uh, check that out as well. So let me close in prayer here. Father Yahweh, we give you great thanks, Father. We thank you for all that you do for us and watching over us and giving us your words. We thank you. Uh, be with us today and be, it, may it be pleasing to you what we do, Father. We thank you for everything, for your love and your mercy. Amen. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Thank you again for your time. Thank you, Robbie. Mm -hmm.